0: So you recognize this symbol, right? What is this called? Ying and Yang. You'll see this on skateboards a lot <laughs> and other things like that, sometimes on people's cars. But it is a religious symbol primarily from Buddhism but somewhat from other Eastern religions as well. And the whole theory behind this is that the universe is equally good and equally bad. And on the good side, there's a little bit of evil. And on the evil side, there's a little bit of good. And this is totally opposite of what the Bible teaches, but yet people still have this mentality today, and uh, and people think this is true. Like in the universe, um, like even in Star Wars, that's the whole thing—the dark side, uh, you know. Uh, no, I won't even imitate Darth Vader. Sorry, I was going to go there, but uh, and then we have the, the you know the, the the good Jedi Knights on the on the on the light side, and you know, and that the universe is torn, and it's equal battle that goes back and forth. And again that is the farthest thing from the truth but yet people transfer these ideologies into Christianity. There was a quote by Dolly Parton where she said that that even your your sins and the evil in you is part of who you are. It balances out who the whole complete makes you a complete person. And then that's why I don't listen to country music. Well, I, I, I have a lot more reasons for that. But anyway, but that's that just bad philosophy right there. And people bring it into Christianity as if there's this arm wrestling match between Jesus and Satan. Oh man, there's a big struggle here, whatever. And let me tell you, that is just totally, totally false. Okay? Think about how vast this universe is. We are finding out every year that it's bigger than we thought. That there, there, you know, there's not just one galaxy there's not just millions of galaxies, there's billions of galaxies, okay? So I'm not even talking about our solar system, which is incredibly big with nine planets, whether you count Pluto or not, poor Pluto. But anyway, whether we count them or not, we're talking about a, a solar system made up of solar systems and galaxies made up of galaxies, not just millions and billions. And it's an ever-expanding universe. And guess who made it all? God. And let me, let me show you Satan here, okay? Well, sorry, Matt, I'm going to move over here. Do you, do you see this little red dot right here? No, neither do I. That's Satan, okay? That's how incredibly small he is that he doesn't even show up on God's universe. That's how incredibly tiny he is. Keep in mind, he is an angel that God made. And at one point in time, he had free will. He doesn't anymore. He's, his, his choice of evil has been made permanent. Like all the angels who chose good, their decision made permanent. The ones who the third who chose evil, their decisions be made permanent. And this morning, your decision has not been made permanent yet. Okay? When you die, it will be permanent. So you have a choice today. Thank, that's why the angels are mystified at the gospel. Like what? You didn't die for us. You died for these people made out of dirt. And Jesus is like, Yep, I made them in my image. And I'm gonna die for them, and I'm gonna give them a choice. And so anyway, Satan is just one created being. Now, I don't want to overestimate Satan, and I don't want to underestimate Satan. We tend to go to one extreme or another, where Satan is everywhere. Satan's in the microphone, Satan's in the drums. You know, we blame everything on Satan, when really most of the blame is right here. <laughs> so but, so get, get this whole in perspective, and that's what Mark is trying to show us, is that Jesus, if, 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 if this piece of paper was Satan, Jesus could be like... I'm the, that's it it could be it could be faster than that in fact think about this here's what he said to the disciples he said i saw satan now when did satan fall before creation so he, Jesus is saying i'm there before creation because i am the creator he said i saw satan fall how boom <laughs> satan you want to fight okay but done that's it like, like this at the speed of light i kicked him out of heaven he didn't even get a punch in Okay, he didn't even get anything in. I said, you're gone, boom, and he was gone at the speed of light. Okay, so we want to make sure that Jesus is in total control. And anything that Satan does to us is based on lies. He can't change your mind. He can't change your heart unless what? You let him, unless you believe his lies. Um, So Mark, the guy who's writing the gospel Mark that we're studying, he's in Rome, and he's writing a special gospel from a unique perspective for Roman people, non-Jews, Gentile people, okay? And so he's writing to them, and he's basically saying, hey, the gospel is for everybody. And in this story of this morning, we're going to show that the gospel goes and reaches the heart of the very worst person in the very worst condition. Okay? Showing that Jesus loves everybody and anybody. And so the main point is what he's trying to say: is Mark is answering this question: who is Jesus? He's not some equal pal in the universe that's on par with Satan. Did you know that that Mormons teach that God the Father had two sons, Lucifer and Jesus, and that Lucifer became mad when the Father gave the kingdom to Jesus? Man, I'm glad that's not the Jesus we worship. Isn't that crazy? We worship the Jesus who made Lucifer and all the other billions of angels. And, and so you, this philosophy is crept in everywhere, it, it's basically, it's satanic. So the question of who is Jesus, he's the creator of the universe. He's the one that, who can conquer the world at any moment, but for a time of history, he's giving us free will and choice to choose whether we want to love him, obey him, and worship him, rather than ourselves and our own idols. In Isaiah 49.6, which was written over 600 and some years before Mark was being written, he says you should be talking about Israel he said you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach where the ends of the earth so way before Jesus came on the scene he's telling Israel be a light to the nations They didn't do a very good job did they <laughs> They were like no no we're better than everybody we're chosen of God And here remember this when when the Bible talks about that we are chosen Or that Israel is God's chosen people. It's not chosen. He makes it abundantly clear. I'd choose you because you were anything special. It would be like if this building was on fire. And I said, Samantha, would you go tell everybody to get out and go out this back door because the lobby's on fire? Do I want Samantha to survive this fire more than anybody else? We say, well, you chose her. Yeah, what did I chose her for? I chose her to tell everybody else because I want everybody to be saved. So when the Bible talks about anybody being chosen, whether it's Israel or the elect of God's people, you are chosen to tell others. Not chosen because you're better than others. There's an important distinction there. So Jesus started with 11 men and those 11 men turned the world upside down. That's what Israel was supposed to have done, was transform the world. They were chosen as a chosen nation to be a light to the world, but he fulfilled that through the 12 disciples. And again, only one of them was outside chose to go outside God's will. The 11 completed the job. So Christianity is interesting because it reaches across all cultural lines because it is the truth of the creator of all people. The reason Christianity spreads better than any other religion on the world is because the one who made every type of people created that message for them. Other religions, because they're man-made, only reach a certain segment of men. Um, For example, with all other religions, Islam, Buddhism... Taoism, Hinduism, you name it, even, even humanism, which is, is by the Supreme Court is, uh, regards it as a religion, even though they say it's not, all of those man-made religions, guess what? 80% of their followers are still around where it began. Where is Islam, most of its followers? The Middle East, Arab nations, most of it, 80% of them. Hinduism, where are most of their followers? Around India. Buddhism, where are most of their followers? Around China and and the Asian Pacific Rim. Humanism, which is a Western white man's philosophy. Where is it? North America and England. Okay, all those. But Christianity has spread around the globe because it doesn't matter whether you're an Eskimo or an Aborigine, whether you are Romanian or or you're Chilean. The gospel reaches everybody because the one who made everybody made the gospel to fit all nations and that's our job in fact in Matthew 24 14 it tells us we're living in exciting days it says in this gospel of the kingdom the gospel that of Jesus died he was buried he rose again it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world now think about this a Jewish carpenter standing in Israel 2,000 years ago with no printing press with no television, with no radio, with no internet. And, and 12 disciples says, what I'm teaching you right now, it's gonna go around the whole world, all seven continents. It'll be everywhere, okay? He says, it'll, and, and as a testimony to how many nations? All nations. Now, the word nations here doesn't mean political, geographical lines, okay? It doesn't mean, it's not talking about, it, it means nations as in nationalities. It means to all ethnic groups. The Greek word there is ethnos, to all people groups. And it says, one, when this, and, and as we speak right now, because of the printed literature, because of the internet, because of television, the gospel is being spread to all people groups, and it's getting closer and closer. And Jesus says, when all that happens, the end will come. Think about that. People probably looked at Jesus and said, you don't have a boat? How are you going to sail around the world and spread this message around the world? That's the only way they could even imagine is, is boats, ships getting messages around the world. But now we, but Jesus knew about the internet and Jesus knew about airplanes and missionaries going around the globe spreading the gospel. And so we're living in exciting days. It says, and there arose and went away from the region of Tyre and Sidon. So Josephus was a Jewish historian. He my, my mic goes on. Okay, good. Josephus was a Jewish historian. He was not a Christian. He rejected Christ. He thought he was a lunatic and a fringe messianic uh, false prophet. But he said that the people, the Tyrians, which is the people who live in Tyre, were the worst enemies of Israel. Of all the non-Jews in the whole area, Tyre was the place that hated Jews more than anybody. And Jesus says, hey, we're going to go on a field trip, guys. Let's go to Tyre. And they're all like, what? <laughs> I'm sure they were scratching their heads and wondering what that's about. And that's the place he chose to go to. And just to give you a little background here. So um, the green area below, you can see Jerusalem at the red dot at the bottom. Okay. But Jesus' ministry is up at the Sea of Galilee, right, that blue center in the, top, in the top middle. Okay. And that's all, the green area is all Jewish area. He says, we're going to travel to those two red dots to the left there. Quite a trip. And a trip into what would be considered enemy territory. And when he went there, he entered a house. He obviously had prearranged a place that he was going to stay. And he did not want anyone to know. If you've been here the past few weeks, and if you've been reading through Mark at all, what does Jesus keep trying to do? (laughs) He keeps trying to get away from the crowd to take a break with the disciples. And everywhere he goes, thousands, tens of thousands are following him. He's thinking, you know what? And this is my speculation here. He's like, you know what? Maybe we just need to get all, out of Israel altogether. Maybe we need to go where people don't like Jews. And maybe that's where we'll finally get a break. And so, and yet he could not be hidden. Well, number one, because he was Jesus, I think people learned to recognize him. Number two, you're walking around with 12 guys and a few ladies. You're probably, that crowd's going to get seen and noticed. But it says, immediately, which is Mark's favorite word, this woman. Now think of all the adjectives here whose little daughter now little there's daughter and then there's little daughter the word little here means like below puberty okay so she's not a maiden who she's not a young lady like 12 13 so she's obviously like 11 or younger somewhere in that age there's a there's a different word for toddler that's uh like 2 3 year old like technon is the greek word she's the in between so she's Older than three, younger than 10, 11, probably somewhere in that age. But she's definitely a young girl, and she has an unclean spirit. Okay, now, how does a mom know it's an unclean spirit? And there's people who will say, oh, back then they blamed everything. If you had epilepsy, it said you had a demon. If you had scoliosis, you had a demon. If you were blind, you had a demon. And yes, there were some people like that. But the people, the writers of the Bible did not think that way. All throughout the Gospels, and we've already seen it through Mark, but all throughout all four Gospels, they make a distinction between the sick and the demon-possessed. Not all the time, not everybody who was sick was demon-possessed, and not everybody who was demon-possessed was sick. Sometimes they overlapped, But here she makes a clear distinction. And, and you can just imagine all the probably ugly ways this unclean spirit manifests in this little girl. And in fact, Matthew says that she was cruelly possessed by the demon. This demon was doing horrible things with this young lady, which you, you, know, you can imagine how far evil can go. And this lady came and fell down at his feet. Notice she has the right posture. She could have came in and say, Jesus, it's not fair that you've healed other people, not healed my daughter. She could have demanded justice. She could have demanded fairness. She could have went all these things. But she falls down at his feet and she worships him because she realizes all my gods have failed me. You see, where she lived was one of the most idolatrous places you can imagine. Matthew, as I'll tell you later, says that she was a Canaanite woman. Well, who invented Baal worship? The Canaanites, okay? And so, and what did Baal, what did people do when they worshiped Baal? They took their little babies and they put them on a burning altar. And they burnt their babies alive. This was this type of woman, okay? I mean, she... She, but she realizes my idols have failed me. And let me just tell you this morning, we all struggle with idols, right? Some of it's your career. Some of it, it, it it's your spouse. Some of it's your desire to have a spouse. Some of it's your desire to be wanted or popular. Some of it's the cowboys, and I'm, I'm very sorry about that. Okay, just kidding. No, I'm not. But anyway, uh, some of it, for me, for years of my life, it was, it was sports. There, there's, you name it, we all struggle with idols. Everybody say amen. Okay. So she realizes all her idols, someone made of gold, someone made of silver, whatever, they failed her. But she's heard that this Jesus will never fail you. And so she comes and she makes the right choice. She falls down at his feet. And so think of all the things. She's not a Jew. She's not the chosen people. She's a Gentile. But she's not even just a non-Jew Gentile. She's the worst of the worst. The Syrophoenicians were those who made a pact with Rome that if Israel ever tries to rebel, we'll fight with Rome to kill them. These people really were enemies. They hated the Jews. And she's a Syrophoenician. So it's the Phoenician Empire, the Syrian Empire, where they, had, this part where they had merged. And they made a pact with the Romans. And she wasn't just someone who happened to live there. Mark adds this detail. She's Syrophoenician by birth. She wasn't just someone living in the wrong place at the wrong time. Matthew says, like I said, she's a Canaanite woman. And she was from the region. So she is the worst of the worst. She's also... A woman, which we don't believe is bad, but back then, women were property. You know, you had, you know, so many head of cattle, so many sheep, so many wives, whatever. It was all the same. They were all part of your empire to make your farm or your plantation better. And you could replace any of them. And so women were considered second-class citizens. They were not even, they could not even testify in court. Because who believes a woman? That's the way they thought. Again, not wrong, not condoning it. But think about her situation in life, and she's coming to Jesus, she's the worst, she's a Gentile. She's the worst kind of Gentile, she's a Canaanite, she's from enemy territory, she's Syrophoenician, and she's female. Remember the woman at the well? Jesus said, hey, could I have a cup of water? And she's like, you, a Jew, Jewish man talking to me, a woman? Because Jewish men didn't do that. They didn't talk to women, especially Gentile women. And yet this woman comes, has the nerve, and it's not her house. I kind of picture her just barging in. I don't think she knocked. I really don't, which shows her desperation. And she was crying. And the word crying here means she's not sobbing. She is, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She's crying out loud. And what is she asking for? She's not asking for fairness. She's not asking for justice. She's not asking for her rights. She's asking for mercy. She's not even asking for grace, which would be really close. But what is mercy? When you're asking God to give you something you don't deserve, in fact, and also to not give you what you do deserve, she realizes that the situation she's in is probably her own fault. Otherwise, why would she be asking for mercy? Mercy is when you know, when you know you've done wrong, right? If a criminal comes before the judge and asks for mercy, he's saying, I'm guilty, but please, you know, have mercy on me. I, I didn't know what I was doing or whatever but they know they've done wrong. How does a little girl end up demon-possessed? Unless the family's introducing all kinds of demonic things into the home. So be careful what you're bringing to home, parents, because it could affect, instead of you being demon-possessed, maybe your kids, okay? You have to be really careful about that. And I think maybe she's feeling really bad. She's saying, have mercy on me, because maybe she feels part of the blame. And she recognizes this, oh Lord, son of David, She's not just talking about you're a great, 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 grandchild of David. She's saying you are from the line of David, which means you are what? The Messiah. She recognized, she scrapped her her Canaanite religion. She is realizing, wait a minute, the God of the Hebrews promised the Messiah and he's it. I'm switching sides. I'm over here with this. You are the son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed, not just oppressed. So on a scale scale of one to ten being demon possessed, she's a ten. She's got the worst case of it, and doesn't that make your heart break for this little girl? You know, I mean, we, we've, we heard about before about the demoniac from the Gadarenes, okay? And he's a man, and yeah, we feel sorry for him, but maybe there's a religious side of us, that well, maybe he had it coming, maybe he chose, it was his choices. This poor little girl, I don't think she was asking for any of this, but she's the one that will pay for it, and let me tell you something, Many times your kids will pay for your sin more than you will if you're not careful about that just by the the fallout from your poor decisions. So you just, many of the females in this room could have probably more compassion on this than us guys can. But try to put yourself in this mother's place. She loves her daughter and every day her daughter is tortured by this demon. Every night this daughter is screaming. Every day this daughter is suffering. She's in a lot of pain, and this, da- this mother loves her daughter so much that she will, go, she will go against her society, her town, her religion. She'll go against it all to go speak to Jesus. So she's putting herself in an unpopular position, but she's doing the right thing. She was at the end of her rope in a situation that she could not handle. There's nothing else she could do. She probably tried the sorcerers. She probably tried the Canaanite priests. She probably tried every type of witchcraft or whatever to try to get her out of which were probably the things that got her in the situation in the first place. And none of those things worked. She was in a situation where she could no longer handle it. And some of you are probably thinking, wait a minute. I thought God promised that God will never give you more than you can handle. That is a religious phrase that's not in the Bible. It may be in Second opinions Chapter 4, but it's not in our 66 books of the Bible, okay? People quote religious stuff all the time that's not in the Bible. Be careful about doing that, okay? Did you know that God will give you more than you can handle? In fact, most of life is more than you can handle. How many of you have been in situations where you thought you're gonna lose your mind, okay? Some of you have, I don't know. You, you, we are in situations that are more than we can handle, but here, that's why God does it on purpose. See, first, here's where people get this. They misquote 1 Corinthians 10 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, there's not common man, but God is faithful to will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But what word is there three times in that verse? Temptation or tempted? God won't give you a temptation, that's above what you're able, but it doesn't say God won't give you circumstances in life. If your wife has cancer, is that a temptation? No, that's rough circumstances. There's going to be circumstances that will be way beyond what you can handle. Now, temptation though will not be, because this verse right here, because God always provides what? A way of escape. Now, but in difficult circumstances, bankruptcy, divorce, cancer, whatever, God doesn't always give you a way of escape. Psalm 23 doesn't say... Uh, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because there's a way of escape. No, he says, I'll go through the valley, but I'll fear no evil because why? You're with me. God doesn't have you escape the valley. He has you go through the valley. So now, when it comes to temptation, yes, there's a way out. And you should take it. And you shouldn't blame the devil because you gave in. You shouldn't blame God because... James 1 says God tempts no man with evil, okay? But God says when you do present with temptation, you need to look for the exit sign. Look back here, there's a red exit sign. And I don't care what you're struggling with it, God always provides one of those. You just have to be looking for it. Now, so don't apply God's exit clause for temptation to God's exit clause for hard conditions in life because there's not one. God goes through the hard conditions of life with you, not always promising a way out. And so here's what happens. Sometimes we are in situations that we cannot handle. And that leads us to lean on the one who is strong enough to carry us through it. You see, when you come to the end of yourself, you know what, God, I can't handle this. This is, I, I feel like I'm having a nervous breakdown. If God's okay. Will you let me help you through it? Yes, Lord. And he picks you up and he carries you through it. And when you come out on the other side, you can say, you know what, I couldn't handle that, but Jesus did. And I couldn't handle that unless he was holding my hand and carrying me through you see the difference between the two situations here? So, Matthew 15, 23 says, But he did not answer her a word. Now, I'm not going to tell you I understand what this really means. <laughs> Why is Jesus not answering her? Because when it says she was crying out to him, it's, it's in a Greek tense It means over and over and over again. She kept crying out. She kept crying out. And he's like, he just keeps on teaching or he just keeps on talking or he keeps on eating. I don't know what he's doing in the house at the time. But he's in a house with his disciples. And there's a family that's hosting them there. And maybe she's outside the window. Because again, they didn't have closing windows. So there's open place. And she's yelling into the house. And he's not answering her. And I don't always have an answer for that. And there are times in your life. You know, David wrote this over and over again in the Psalms. God, do you not hear me? You know, God, will you please come to our rescue? Will, how long, O oh Lord. And there's times in your life where it seems like God is distant, but He's not. But through His silence, He wants you to have faith that He is still there, that He's still present with you. But Jesus is, you know, doing, He knows what everybody needs, right? For example, let's think about the rich young ruler. Now, think about what this guy has going for him. He's rich. We like for those people to join our church, right? <laughs> he's young. Man, we like young people to join our church, right? He's a ruler. He, he's a ruler where? In the synagogue. He knows his Bible. He is a leader. He's one of the ones they call on to pray on, on Saturday in on, on the synagogue on Sabbath. So I mean, this young guy has got all going for him and he comes to Jesus. And man, Jesus would be blessed to have him as one of his disciples, right? And he says, Lord, what must I do to ha- inherit eternal life? And he could have said, you know, just believe on me as the Messiah. Great, we're good to go. But Jesus knew his heart and knew this guy was in love with money, love with power, and with love with popularity. And he said, you know what? You go sell everything you have, and then we'll talk. And everybody's like, what? Man, he could have been, man, he could definitely replace Judas. Come on, Jesus, what up? bring this guy in? But Jesus knew his heart. And Jesus knows this woman's heart. Maybe he knows she needs to be persistent. Maybe she needs to work through this. And, and you'll, I'll show you something in a second. I think you'll see why I'm saying that. So his disciples came to him. And, but notice, Jesus doesn't send her away. But the disciples are ready too. They're like, Jesus, please make this annoying woman go away. She's, man, we're trying to enjoy our fish sandwiches here. Thank you, Jesus, for performing it again, and we're having a great time here. And we got this lady. We got to listen. Would you please just tell her to go away? Cause she's crying after us. So it's like, Jesus wouldn't listen. So they're like, hey, disciples, disciples, please, disciples, help me. And they're like, please, Jesus, we don't want to hear this woman. So why doesn't Jesus answer her? Is Jesus lacking compassion? Well, here's what I want you to see, the progression that maybe Jesus saw. Because Jesus waited, watch how her tone changes. First she starts off, and she, every one of these statements are good, but each one is better than the next. She says, oh Lord, great, good start, right? Son of David, Messiah, great, better. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So here's my problem over here. You're the Messiah, my problem over here, please fix it. But then she moves on and next thing she says, she came and she knelt before him, and then she said, Lord, help who? Help me. It's first like, Jesus, fix my daughter. Jesus, fix my daughter. And it's like, no, Jesus, help me. I'm suffering because of my daughter, but really, I need help. And I don't, I'm not trying to read too much into this, but I think these, these words are here for, on purpose. And then she says, yes, Lord. And when you say yes to the Lord, that's, that's a good step. And I think that's where Jesus wanted her to be. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She realizes she does not deserve anything she's asking for Jesus. She is asking for mercy. And she goes from, Jesus, help my daughter, to Jesus, help me. Please, just crumbs from your table. And I think that's where Jesus wanted to see her to be. And there's, I've seen it happen years and years through 30-some years in the ministry where people come to me and like, we need counseling. You need to fix my wife. Yeah, if she would just stop doing this. If he would just you know, show more compassion or help me with the kids. And the problem is always the other person. And you don't see any progress in marriage counseling until they say, you know what? I'm not being the husband I should be. And yeah, I'm not saying she's perfect, but I'm going to let the Lord work on her. God, help me. Help me to be better. Help me to be more like Jesus. And when we get down to where we see that we're the problem, that's when progress begins. And I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about life. And when we, when we find ourselves more upset about the evil in here than we do the evil out there, then we're on to something. That's when true repentance takes place. When you're constantly annoyed by all the stuff that's happening on the news and all the stupid evil happening in America and around the world, which there's tons of it. And you, in fact, I recommend you don't even watch the news because of that. But there, you can be annoyed, annoyed, annoyed. But you see, if you seem more aggravated about your neighbor, CNN, or news or any of that, about Gary Plenty of okay. Anyway, see the progression she makes there. And then, we'll move, we can move on without that. Let's see. All right. So, let me just say. And verse 27 says, He ha- said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let me ask you a question. Who is the children Jesus is talking about here? Children of Israel, right? Now again, was Israel chosen because they're better than all the Gentiles? No. They were chosen so they could go tell everybody else. Remember the illustration with Samantha? I'm not choosing Samantha to go tell everybody else about the fire because I love Samantha more, but I am wondering because I love everybody, I'm just picking someone to go tell. And so that's what's happening here. And y'all reconnect in here as well. Let's see. We'll get back here. Technology, you live by it or die by it, right? All right, here we go. Almost there. He gives an analogy. My children, my disciples specifically at my table, who are also the children of Israel, Okay, they need to be fed first. Now, did he said they need to be fed and not dogs? No. They need to be fed first. He said, I am going to feed you, but I'm going to feed them first. Just like I'm going to tell Samantha, hey, Samantha, the building's on fire. Go tell everybody else. I've got to delegate this. And Jesus delegated God in the Old Testament, delegated reaching the world to Israel. Israel didn't do a great job, but it was completed through the disciples. That's why we're sitting here in this nice building here today, because people went out into the world and shared the bread with the rest of the world. Okay? And he said, it's not right that get the children's bread, and throw it to the dogs. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So there's a a somewhat popular pastor, if you can call him that, on YouTube. He's extremely liberal, homosexual pastor who says Jesus is a racist. And there's actually lots and lots of people writing today and books on theology who are saying Jesus can't be God because he commits the sin of racism here because this was a racial slur called to the Gentiles. Well, there's several things wrong with that. Number one, there are two words for dogs in this day and age. Back then, most dogs, not all, most dogs were considered just as bad as the rats. They, were, they went around in packs. They were dangerous. They carried disease. They could attack your children. You didn't want them. In fact, when David went out to Goliath with a sling, he said, what are you out here with a sling and a stone for? What am I, a dog? Okay, he said, "Am I like a pack of coyotes you're trying to chase off?" That was the first word for dog. The second word for dog was a smaller dog that you might have in your house as a pet. Let me ask you, which one do you think Jesus called her? The pet one. Now, how many of you love your pets? Okay, I love my pets. I have two dogs. I love one more than another, but anyway, I love my dogs. I'm just kidding, or I don't know. would say I'm not. I don't know. But it's complicated. Okay, but anyway, I don't. I love my kids all the same. But anyway. Um, but we, I love my dog, I feed my dog. And in these days, they didn't have Purina or pedigree, they fed their dogs the same thing that people ate. So think about that. That the dog is gonna get the same food that the children get just later, not now. It's not a matter of I don't love you, it's a matter and I'm gonna feed you something different, I'm gonna feed you the same thing I fed my kids but after my kids are done eating. And so he's staying with that analogy, he's not calling her a ravenous canine, that's about, it's a threat to her or carries some disease. He is calling her the second one where it's, it's a loved creature that will, will be fed, but fed later. Is that racism? It's not racism. But also, here's the other big thing. You say, well, Gary's still calling these children and these dogs. Yeah, but what was Abraham before God called him? He was a dog. You see, what he's saying is, when I feed you, you'll be able to sit at my table. And see, guess what? In Isaiah and and Zechariah and several different Old Testament books, it talks about how all the nations, all the ethnic groups in the kingdom will what? Sit at his table. So God loves all ethnic groups equally. And here's another thing is, whatever ethnic group you are today, you will be that in heaven. Did you know that? Because God created you that way and he loves the nationalities and he wants us all to be that way because that will be the beauty, that will be the mosaic of the gospel for billions of years in eternity. So this is not racism at all. In Romans 1.16, he's referring to what Paul would commentate on later. He said, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Watch this. Read this with me. To the Jew first and also to the Greek or the non-Jew. He's not saying, I'm not going to love you. I'm just going to share this with you later. Jesus started his ministry with the Jews so they can continue to be the light to spread the gospel to the world because that's why they were chosen. Verse 28 says, and she answered him, Yes, Lord. She didn't argue with him and say, Jesus, why are you call me a dog? Okay? She doesn't say that at all. She said, Yes, Lord. She, she acknowledges that, yes, I am later and then I will be fed later, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Can you give me just a crumb now before you put some in my dish later? Just give me a crumb, which is great that she acknowledges, oh, Jesus, you have to just give me a little bit and my daughter will be healed. She doesn't need anything big. Or fantastic. Let's just, let's just make some observations here. Listen, things I did when I was studying this week about this. First of all, she's not triggered. We live in a day where everybody gets triggered. Everybody's looking to get their feelings hurt about something. You say something that's racially insensitive, politically insensitive, or whatever. And people want to always get their feelings hurt and be offended. That, that's, new, that's the new constitutional right. You have a right to be offended. It's just, it's just, man, we need to be big boys and girls and put our pants on and just grow up. You know, it's just... And I'm not just talking about right side or left side, conservative liberal. I'm just talking about don't always look to have your feelings hurt. And this lady could have, but she chose not to because she realized what Jesus was saying. And she says, yes, Lord. And really, that's what salvation is about. You've been like, I'm doing it my way. I'm doing it my way. I'm going to go to heaven my way. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm going to do my marriage my way. And Jesus says, you're messing it all up. You want to do it my way? And when you finally surrender and say, yeah, I've made a mess of the way I do it. Yes, Lord, I I want to do things your way. And then she doesn't ask for justice, fairness, but she asks for mercy. And he knows that if he does, it would be merciful on his part. So John MacArthur shares, one of my uh, commentaries I've read, shared these three things. First of all, she had repentant faith. She knew she had done wrong and she needed mercy. She wasn't, had a right to or entitled to anything. She had a reverent faith. She acknowledged him as Lord. She said, yes, Lord, you're the Lord of my life. And number three, she had a persistent faith. She kept asking. And Jesus knew, just like he knew the heart of the rich young ruler, he knew that she needed to keep trying. Because if she had got what she wanted the first time, it'd be like, fix my daughter, great, my daughter's fixed. And she would have went away, not saved. But because she got to the point through her persistence, she realized that she was the problem. But what's also so beautiful about this story is, again, she's a Gentile. She's the worst kind of Gentile. She's a Canaanite. She's a Syrophoenician Canaanite. She's a political enemy. She is a woman, which everybody else considered a second-class citizen, but Jesus doesn't because God chooses underdogs. Have you noticed that pattern in the Bible? God chooses underdogs over and over again. Adam and Eve at first had two sons. What are their names? Cain and Abel. Who's the oldest? Cain, right? Who did God choose? He chose Abel over Cain. Okay? You, you look at Isaac over Ishmael. Ishmael was born first, but God chooses the younger one. You see, this in a day when your firstborn son was everything, you gave all the wealth to him, and then he split up amongst the kids as he saw fit. Usually an, in, an interesting proportion was the son got 50% and then divided the other 50% amongst the other 13 siblings if they had that many. So he got the lion's share because that's the best way to protect the family's wealth by giving it to the oldest. So when the dad passed on, he would then be the patriarch of the family. And then that's how it was called, um, Never mind, progenitor. It was the law of first progenitor. And so firstborn sons were everything. But God didn't command it to be that way. That was just the way the culture was. And it wasn't just Jewish culture. All the pagan cultures did this as well. God chose unloved Leah, who wasn't as beautiful as Rachel, but he blessed her with children. He chose her. God chose David over all of his 11 older brothers. He was just a redheaded little squirt who was given a girl's job of watching sheep. And that's who God chose to be the next king. God chose childless Sarah to create a nation to bless the world. A lady who, couldn't, who was old and could not have children. God chose Rebecca, Isaac's wife. God chose Samuel's mother, Hannah, who could not have children. And think about this women who could not have children were looked down upon. And, and, and here's why. Having children was the way you economically blessed your village. The more, the more children you had, the more the population of the village went up, the more people you had paying taxes, the better the economy, the more laborers you had. If you had a farm, Guess what, Medina? The more kids you have, that's why you guys have so many kids, because you guys have that, right? The more people who could help feed the chickens, take care of the cows, the more kids were employees. And that, that, and that was all the way up until just the last century. Right before the Depression, Kids, the more kids you had, the better your family thrived. And now it's like we serve our kids rather than our kids serve our And both are out of balance, okay? But anyway, so, and guess what? The better your population and the more boys you had, guess what, you had a stronger army, which means the Philistines couldn't come and just take everything we had. So giving birth to children was, was the woman's number one job to any poor community to increase the strength of that community. And if you weren't producing kids, guess what? You might as well be on welfare and just sucking us all dry. We're having to support you instead of you supporting us. And I'm not agreeing with all that. I'm just saying that's the way the world looked at it at that time. So, but guess who God always chose? The woman who couldn't have any children. And what did he do? He'd bless them with children. Moses says, God, why have you chosen me? I I, I can't, I I can't even talk. I I stutter. And God says, guess what? I'm going to use you. God chose John's mother, Elizabeth. Again, older woman who could not have children. God chose lowly shepherds who couldn't get a job doing anything else, which is what most people did, shepherds, to be the first eyewitnesses of his birth. And God chose disrespected women to witness his resurrection. From his birth to his resurrection, God, through Jesus, always chose underdogs. Paul comments on this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. He's talking to this church in Corinth. Not many, he didn't say not any, he said not many of you were wise. In other words, I didn't choose a bunch of PhDs to be the first members of the church. He said, according to worldly standards, that is, not many powerful, Man, there's not a lot of politicians in here. People with money and people, all kinds of, you know, important people. He didn't say not any. He just said not many. He said not many of noble birth. You know, oh, we have Prince so-and-so, a member of our church. Or here's the relative of the king over here. Well, this person was born into one of the wealthiest families of all of Israel. Not many of them became believers. Why? Because if you think you're wise and you're powerful and you're of a nobility, you're full of pride. And pride's the first thing that needs to go before you get saved. And a lot of people are unwilling to let go of that. He says, but God chose what is what? Foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose foolish Gary to use me as a tool to shame the wise, people who think they're wise. God chose the foolishness of all of us because all of us are fools before we're saved, right? And God chose what is weak in this world to bring shame to the strong. You see, sometimes we as Christians, we make this mistake. We hear about a a superstar that supposedly becomes a Christian. Like you've heard about Justin Bieber, right? Supposedly become a Christian. And maybe he did. I'm not questioning that, okay? In fact, if it did, that's great. And when we hear about certain athletes that supposedly become Christians, and we think, oh yeah, that's so good. Now they can use it as a platform. And athletes always talk about their platform because everybody follows them and everybody votes like them because you can dunk a basketball. I'm going to vote like you. And people do for some reason, but... We think somehow, if, man, some of these superstars would become Christians, man, then, then we'd change America. God says, no, I don't work that way. You know, let's say LeBron became a Christian. Let's pray that he does. He's not, definitely not. But let's suppose he became a Christian. The gospel's not going to go any farther because of him. You see, when someone who really doesn't have their life together and really doesn't know that much, doesn't really have that much money, but your friends see Jesus Christ doing miraculous things in your life, and you're changing, and you're becoming a better husband and a better mom and a better employee because you you love Jesus, they're going to step back and say, what? Jesus changed the world with 11 fishermen and other lowly people? A tax collector named Matthew? Jesus changed the world through that? How did that do, do? You see, if people become Christians because of LeBron, well, that would make sense because they love basketball, love LeBron, look what LeBron can do. But when people change because of somebody like you and me, who gets the credit for that? God gets all the credit for that. That's why he chose the poor, the foolish, and the weak. You see, God chooses what is low and despises the world, even the things that are not, even things that haven't even come into being yet, to bring nothing, things that are, so that no human being might what? Boast. No human being might what? Boast. Remember that word. We're going to come back to it in his presence, in the presence of God. You see, if, if this church hired a, a really young, good-looking, amazing speaker as their pastor who had lots of money, lots of influence, and lots of power, was connected with all kinds of important people in Texas, and then this church is filled up, would we glorify the man or God? You see, if, if this church grows because me and Pastor Stan love you guys, and we're not very much, but this church grows, who gets the glory then? God does. That's the way God chooses to work. And I'm not just talking about me and Pastor Stan. I'm talking about all of us. We are the weak things. So don't ever say, God, how could God use me? He could use all of us. So this Canaanite woman was the underdog of underdogs. I've already mentioned how many things she's gone through, but she was unclean Gentile. She was a Canaanite. See, the Canaanites, if you remember in the Old Testament, what did what, what were they supposed to do when they came into the promised land? How many were they supposed to let live? Zero. They were supposed to destroy the entire race because they were killing children, okay, because of their sin. And yet they compromised on it. They let some of them live, they let some of them get away, and it all came back to bite them later. And even to this day, there's conflict in the Middle East because Israel didn't obey. But these were the worst of the worst, and this is what she had on her resume. She was Syrophoenician, so she was a political enemy enemy she was a woman so she was a second class citizen she had a little daughter and you know who cared about little daughters right now nobody if you had a little son oh yeah maybe we should heal him because he can grow up and work the farm but a little girl you could pop out another one in nine months don't worry about it seriously that's the way people thought about little girls and you know what we we laugh at that but today how are little girls treated millions being kidnapped and sold into sex slavery because they're just a little girl who cares about them And it's sad. And let me just tell you guys, and girls, I guess too, every time you watch or dabble in pornography, you are supporting eight-year-old girls being kidnapped and sold into slavery. It's not just some little thing to relieve your stress. You are supporting the most wicked industry on the planet. Do you understand? And And so we think we're so sophisticated because this is the 21st century. Oh, yeah, we care about little girls. Do we? Do we really? What are we doing about? What are we doing about, you know, the thousands of baby, unborn baby girls that are being aborted every day. Did you know the number one co- uh, choice of abortion is not based on rape or incest, which is what the liberals want you to think. It's based on gender. We wanted a boy, it's a girl. We will abort and start over. Don't tell me we're more sophisticated today than they were then, okay? The world is much more evil even today than it was then. And not only is she a little girl, she's a demon-possessed little girl. So there is no reason that anybody would want to help this lady. Go help somebody who can help you. But that's not the way Jesus operates. With Jesus, there's no such thing as a hopeless cause. Amen? How many of you were a hopeless cause one time in your life? Yeah. And Jesus saved you. And that's what, that's, that's what Jesus specializes in. And so here, she, do you see the progression she went through? Help me. I mean, help my daughter. And finally, it's to help me, Lord. And he's like, for this statement you know, what she said when she realizes she's the one that needs help just as much as her daughter, he says, because of that, your daughter will be healed. She realized what everyone must realize as sinners. We are less than dogs. We're all less than dogs. You say, yeah, I don't like your preaching. That's not very positive. I'm just telling you what Jesus says. We are all less than dogs. We are undeserving sinners. And we don't even deserve the crumbs from God's table. The gospel shows that we are more wicked than we realize. And yet far more love than you can imagine. That's the gospel. You have to have both. Some people want to preach a gospel that's all positive. You're loved, you're loved, you're amazing. You can do everything. You can have your best life now. All this is great, positive, positive. And don't talk about sin. We don't really wanna talk about sin and hell. Not gonna talk about the judgment of God. And then some churches are all, God's gonna judge you, hellfire and brimstone, and nothing positive. There can't be good news unless there's first bad news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that, yes, you, you deserve to go to hell, but Jesus went through hell for you. And that's the, that's the gospel, that you are loved even though you are a sinner. He says, so for this statement, you may go away. The demon has left your daughter. And once again, Jesus doesn't have to lay hands on her. He doesn't have to touch her. She doesn't have to touch the friendship's garment. We don't know if this lady came six miles away. But because Jesus is God, boom, he knows what's happening already there because he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. He's all the characteristics of God. He's, and so he does all those things for her, and she went home, and she found the little child. This is different. Did you notice this? Lying in bed. Think about everybody else Jesus healed. What did they do? They popped up, (laughs) right? The guy who couldn't walk popped up and started walking. The little girl who died, and he breathes life back in her, she pops up. Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick in bed, he lays hands on her, and the fever leaves her. What does she do? She pops up as starts surveying This little girl's still lying in bed. Now, again, I think he threw this detail in there on purpose to, to generate what I would call sanctified speculation. Whenever he gives you facts that are like kind of interesting, but like, what is that in there for? But he doesn't tell you why. He wants your imagination to go. We pictured a little while ago the mother's love for this daughter. And what is this daughter going through? Screaming at night? Fits? We don't know all kinds of things. Maybe even seizures, which was related to some demonic activity. Not all seizures are demonic, all this stuff. She's going through all this stuff. This is probably the first time she's had peaceful sleep in forever. And she's taking advantage of it. She's actually finally at rest and can sleep. I don't think the lying in bed is a bad thing. She hasn't been able to have a good night's sleep in years, probably. And Jesus not only removed the demon, he let her have sweet, blessed sleep, which is, brings more further healing to your body. So, who shot Abraham Lincoln? John Wilkes Booth, right? So, Junius Booth was his dad. Junius Booth was a famous man who acted in the theaters. And they traveled. It was kind of like the equivalent to Broadway before Broadway was popular. And they traveled and they put on theatrical events all the time. And Junius became a well-known actor all across North America and even parts of Europe. Well, he had two sons, Edwin and John Wilkes. And they began to pick up the acting career with their dad. And they traveled with him and they were doing acting. And Edwin actually became more popular as an actor than his dad as he became an adult. And so their career is thriving, and everything is going really well. And, but then John Wilkes, his acting career is not going as well as his brothers or his dad's. And he starts to get in this fringe group, uh, kind of conspiracy theorists of the Confederacy. And he starts to get more and more involved with that. And they're like, we've got to take out Abraham Lincoln. So they actually had a group of people who were going to do a mass assassination, like several gunmen, and, and, and everybody had different jobs and they got discovered. And they were able to disperse before they were uh, captured. And so John Wilkes got more and more mentally involved in this. I won't say mentally ill because I don't know his mental state, but obviously he's not all right there. But he decides to do this as a lone gunman. And in the Ford Theater, he comes up behind uh, President Abraham Lincoln and shoots him in the back of the head. Okay? This ruined Junian and even more so Edwin's acting career. Nobody wanted to go see actors who were in the family of who just shot the president. These guys were ruined. Then one day, I don't know how much time passed, Edwin's at a train station. And he's about to board a train. And he hears a, a, a screech and a scream from the side. And he looks over and there's a young man caught on the tracks as a train is about to come. And he run, jumps out there, pulls him up and jumps out and saves the boy and himself. That boy was... Abraham Lincoln's son. And because he was willing to sacrifice, willing to sacrifice his own life to save someone else, his career was restored. And people began to pack out the theaters and wanted to see Edwin uh, Booth act again. Because of his sacrifice, he had redeemed himself. At least as far as theater's concerned. But Jesus did much more than that. Jesus wasn't just willing to die, he did die. And he pulled you out and he took the train for us so that we could be redeemed. We deserve to be pushed aside like Edwin and the whole Booth family. But God, Jesus Christ, through the act of what he did on the cross, redeemed us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that out of yourselves. It is not your, this is not your own doing. It is what, everybody? The gift of God. something you, It's offered to you, you receive it. You didn't earn it, you didn't buy it, there's nothing you can do. And listen to the next verse. Not a result of works so that no one may... Remember I mentioned this word boast earlier? You see, if you get to heaven because you've kept the Ten Commandments or because you've been baptized or you gave to the poor or you did something to earn it, then here's what heaven's going to be like. I'm going to walk down the street, Gold Street, and say, hey, Greg, man, you're here, how did you get here? And Greg would be like, well, you know, I taught thousands of students and I taught teachers how to teach and I, you know, education changes the world, so I worked for the University of Houston and I was a good dad and a good husband, and so I'm here. And Greg would boast about himself, about how he earned to be here. And I'd walk down the street a little further and I'd see somebody else and, hey, Joe, how'd you get to heaven? Well, you know, one day I was riding over this bridge and this school bus went off the bridge through a rail, and there was 34 kids on the bus drowning as it went off into the river. I parked my car, I dove into the river, and I swam in one at a time and pulled each one of those kids out. But when I went down for the last time, me and the bus driver got stuck and I drowned. But hey, I'm here in heaven because look what I did. Look at me. I could come across another lady and say, hey, Linda, how are you here in heaven? Well, you know, I made millions of dollars on Wall Street and I donated almost all my money for orphanages in Romania and Croatia to rescue little girls and boys from, from slavery and things like that. And so, yeah, Jesus let me in because of that. And we would spend all of eternity boasting about us and what we did to earn heaven. But that's not heaven, my friends. Here's what heaven's really going to be like. I'm walking down the street. I say, hey, David, how are you doing? Man, I, I'm surprised to see you here in heaven. How did you get here? And you're like, well... I don't know. I, I really wasn't the greatest guy in the world, and I, I really didn't do much compared to all these other people, but Jesus loved me anyway. Isn't Jesus awesome? Yes, David, Jesus is awesome. And then I'd walk down the street, and you know, uh, Nathan would say, Hey, Gary, what are you doing here? And I'd say, I, I don't know, man. I, there was a point in my time where I just totally messed up my life and my career and everything, and I really wish I could have been a better dad and a better husband, and there's, there's so much evil in my heart, but Jesus loved me anyway, and I'm here. How about you, Nathan? How'd you get here? I don't know, man. I, I spent some time in prison. I did some things I'm not proud of. I wish I could have been a better dad. And there's just so much I should have done. I feel like so much of my life that wasted. But Jesus died for me. And he took all that away. Isn't Jesus good? And for billions of years, that's all we're going to do is brag about Jesus. Boast about Jesus. That's why salvation is by grace through faith. Because all glory goes to God so if you are here this morning or you're watching online and you think that somehow you're good enough to go to heaven let me tell you I'm not judging you I'm judging the whole human race that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God that's the apostle Paul that there is none righteous no not one you and me are in the same boat what we need to do is what this Syrophoenician woman did is look to Jesus and say have mercy on me let's pray father in heaven thank you so much for loving us Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you that you love this woman. And you, you even gave her tough love to bring her to the point to where she saw that her own heart was the problem. Thank you for loving us the same way. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that they would put their faith in you right now. I pray that they realize I am less than a dog. I don't deserve anything but Lord, if you're willing to give me the gift of salvation, I hold my hands out right now and receive it by faith. I trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I give my life to you because you gave your life for me. And so, Father, I pray that you would just touch hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, so did you trust Christ today? If you did, please, there's my number. Please call me or text me and let's talk about that. I want to welcome you to the family of God. Uh, we are all to have a question and answer session. I don't see Amanda or Tori right now, but um, who? Samantha, come on. Samantha, you've done this before, haven't you? Yeah, all right, cool. So if you have any questions, you can um, text that into us. Actually, we don't have any yet. If you've sent one and it didn't go through, you might have to raise your hand because the reception's not great in this building yet. We're going to fix that. Um, anybody have any questions? Yeah. Yeah, there's something in the Bible, a big word called anthropomorphism where God presents himself in human terms so you could relate with him. Okay? So God talks about his hands or his eyes or whatever, but God is God is spirit. Now he became human flesh, but again, that's Jesus Christ who's fully God, okay? But God in his fullness is not limited to just hands and feet. He also talks about coming under the shadow of his wings. That doesn't mean God's a chicken, okay? So he uses these terms, and there's a couple times in Scripture where, and this is not one of them, where it talks about God relented or changed his mind. But, all, but God knew the end from the beginning. He's basically saying in a human terms, because of persistence of your prayer, I'll give you what you want, but I, I needed you to get there. So he's withheld it, so he changed his mind about how how long to withhold it. So God didn't really change his mind, but he's using the phrase change his mind. Other translations say relented to, to put on, a, on your level. Does that make sense? But Jesus, he knew her condition. He didn't change his mind. He was, the reason he didn't answer her word is because he wanted her to go through that progression. Yeah, but liberals will do anything to bring down Jesus. It makes me, there, there was a um, a. A, a theologian, a lady in England who said that Christianity is the only science in the world or field of study in the world where its expert destroy the subject matter. Think about that. Do people become chefs and say, I hate cooking. Cooking is for idiots. You shouldn't be a cook as they're a chef. But we got pastors who say, Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't do this. I'm like, would you go be a plumber or do something different? You know, I don't understand that. But that's to me. That's evidence of how satanic it is. Okay. Um, All right. Here we do have a question now. Um, I've got several. All right. Cool. So I'll let you go down the list. You know how to operate that thing. When the dinosaurs walked the planet and object impacted the earth and wiped them all out, what are the chances that God casting Satan to the earth was the event that wiped out the dinosaurs? So great question, but the chances are zero. Because Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. This was before creation. There was no planet. There was no earth uh, at this time. So there is, uh, Satan fell before creation. Also, I, a meteor taking out the dinosaurs is not accurate at all. It's not, sci- it's not good science and it's not biblical. And people, we've grown up in an era where people say, well, you can either have faith or you can have science, but you can't have both. No, no, you absolutely can, Okay. What took out the, most of the by the way, there's some dinosaurs still on the planet, okay? Um, the Komodo dragon and others are basically dinosaurs. Uh, uh, no, I don't buy the chicken theory. I don't think, the, I don't think birds and, yeah. But there are, there are different creatures still alive today that are, are surviving dinosaurs, but what took out almost all the dinosaurs was the flood. That's why, think about it. If you stir, how do you make concrete? You add a bunch of water, lime and powder and other things like that and you stir it up real good and then you let it all settle okay what did god do with the earth he flooded it okay most of the water came from the fountains of the deep oh by the way there's a good article you need to look up that nasa scientists have just discovered that there's more water below the earth tables than there is in the oceans just like the bible said just like the bible said the fountains of the deep came up and flooded the earth rain came down for 40 days and scientists mocked that and said, oh, rain for 40 days would still never cover all the plants, uh, all the mountains on the earth. No, it wouldn't. That's why God brought the waters up from beneath. It was just like, you know, old faithful and other geysers exploding everywhere. And so the whole earth was just stirred up like mud and drowning all the dinosaurs and then it all settled like mud. And that's where you have fossils. Go out in your backyard uh, and, and any, go anywhere where, let's say someone 100 years ago buried their dog. Is it fossilized? No. What do you have to do to make a fossil? You got to make concrete. Not everything fossilizes. The flood is a worldwide flood. That's why you can go up to in Colorado and find fossils of what? Seashells. I I found several in uh, when we went out um, the Lost Maples National Park. We went hiking up in the mountains in West Texas and you can find little like what they call uh, hearts and there are basically sea creatures that have fossilized up in the mountains of Texas. What, what are sea creatures doing up in the mountains of Texas? Okay, so there, there was a global flood. Liberals will say, no, it was just localized that part of the world. It was a worldwide flood, and, there was, and, and I believe it's literal. And that's the only way you can explain the fossil record is through the flood. Long answer, sorry. Why did God command that all men, women, child, and animals be killed? It, not everywhere, obviously under the Canaanites because they were a cursed race that were sacrificing their children. And let's just, and then this is my theory now, let's say you let a five-year-old survive and then they grow up asking questions. What happened to my mom and dad? Whatever. And all of a sudden they're like, well you killed my mom and dad? Oh and then they grow up and they have kids. and I'm gonna come back and kill you. That's why you had to wipe them all out. Also another big factor was disease. That the wickedness they were doing, everybody was infected. And they had to wipe it out just because of disease and pestilence and all that stuff. And it was war. Why did we drop a bomb on Hiroshima? You know, we killed a lot of children then too. But it was either we had to kill them or they kill us. And that's, that's war. So it's not condoning genocide. Okay? Uh, it's, it was a war situation. And they had to wipe out people who deserve judgment on a nation. So they basically they dropped the A-bomb on the Canaanites or should have. All right? If we are nothing when we die, how are we ghosts or angels? Um, well, the first statement's not correct. We are something when we die. You, Adam breathed in, uh, God breathed in Adam the breath of life and Adam became a living soul, which means a eternally living soul. So when you die, there's part of you that goes on forever, but the body's not a bad thing. Did you know that Christianity is the only religion in the world that thinks the body is good? All of the religions say you got to get out of this wicked body, and get a new one out there in glory. And the Bible, Paul says, this flesh shall put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on immortality. This body will be raised. So think about the body you have. God's going to resurrect that body and make it what it was intended to be, but you'll still be you. All the other religions, the Greeks, the Romans... The Babylonians, they're all like, no, become a spirit being and go out there in the world. New Age teaches that today. You need to become a, get in touch with your spirit being and someday you'll leave this body and you'll be floating out there in space and become one with the universe. No, you'll be, you'll be you for all eternity. Daisy, isn't that great? David's going to be David for all eternity. That's awesome. I mean, he's this close. All right? No, just kidding. <laughs> all right, any others? No. What was the second part of that question? Um, so if we're nothing, how do we what? Okay. How do we become ghost or angels? We don't become ge- ghosts and we don't become angels. So, um, thanks for asking that question because we get to correct three problems there. You, you are something, will live for eternity. Ghosts are not real, okay? Um, if you use the definition of ghost as in a spirit that's still roaming the earth, because Paul said to be, when you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. Boom, immediately. Unless you're not saved. Then Jesus said, when the rich man died, immediately his soul went into hell, okay? So, you don't roam the earth, okay? Um, And it was ghosts or angels. Um, Mormons teach that you used to be an angel. God sent you to earth to rediscover your purpose. And someday you'll go back to be an angel or you'll become a god. You know, so all this stuff that like, oh, my little niece, now she's an angel. She got her wings. Bad theology. Bad theology. Angels are a totally separate creature from human beings. And so you are actually... Because you were made lower than the angels, but because of salvation, you are now higher. You are God's uh, choice part of creation because he's redeemed you. Man, good questions this morning. Thank you. Samantha, give her a hand. <clears throat> All right. Let's stand, and I think there's a scripture at the end. It should be this time. Let's stand, and let's read this scripture together as God's blessing over us. Is it warm in here, It's just me? It's just me? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So it's questions, man. Golly. all right, making me sweat. Hey, so let's read this together. Numbers six, verse twenty-four. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.